Today, let's learn about a few things as if we were JP Morgan financial advisors. I just downloaded the JP Morgan Asset Management 2021 Guide to Retirement, and coming up, I'm going to share some of my thoughts on this document. If you're self-employed, if you're a gig worker or solopreneur, you've come to the right place to learn how to retire wealthier, retire sooner, and retire happier. This is the Rogue Retirement Lounge. So every year, J.P. Morgan Asset Management puts out a report for their financial advisors called the Guide to Retirement. Uh, the idea is for their advisors and financial planners to have this presentation as a framework to explain retirement-related topics in a, quote, clear and concise manner to their clients. So this guide comes in the form of a PowerPoint presentation filled with charts and graphs covering everything from life expectancy to social security claiming info to retirement savings calculations to long-term care, Medicare costs, uh, asset allocations, and a whole lot more than that. Um, there's a fair bit of stuff in there that doesn't apply to us self-employed people, stuff like employee matches on 401ks and the like. But overall, there's really some interesting data and some pretty thought-provoking information information. This year's guide has 52 slides and you could easily spend a couple hours combing through it if you're really interested in this stuff. But since I like to do the work for you, in today's episode, I'm going to give you some of the highlights. As I was going through the guide, I kept going back and forth. This is too boring to share on the podcast. This is interesting information. No, this is too boring to share on the podcast. Wait, this is interesting. So anyway, I finally reached the point where I decided to share some of this stuff. And if it's too painfully boring and I lose you, my apologies in advance. But I really do hope that you get some value out of this. Oh, and by the way, there is a link to this, uh, the JP Morgan guide in the show notes if you want to see it for yourself. Um, and if you want to download the whole file to your computer you have to register. They just ask for your name, email, and phone number, and you're probably going to have to pretend to be a financial advisor. But once you've created uh, an account, you can download the file and show all your friends. Hey, anyway, so the first thing they cover is life expectancy. And if you're a dude and you're 65 today, you've got a 63% chance of living to 80 years old. That's if you're 65. Uh, you have a 44% chance of living to 85 and a 23% chance of making it to 90. And if you're younger than that, clearly you have a longer life expectancy. So you'd better have a plan in place for your money and a good plan to make it last. Um, according to 2019 actuarial data, if you're like me and you're 52 years old, it's basically a given. You're going to live till you're 80. And if you're a female, you can add a few years to that. So if you're healthier than the average fat schlub on the street, you're going to be old when you die. Um, my, my dad, for example, he barely exercised during his life, uh, most of his life, that is. Uh, he was a pilot, and throughout his career, he was pretty sedentary. He lived on airport food, fast food, and diner breakfasts. And in the last 20 years, I mean, he's had a brain tumor, tumor removed. He's had a double widowmaker heart attack in 2011, open heart surgery in 2019. Uh, he's now 87 years old, and he's doing surprisingly well. Thank God he was well prepared for retirement uh, because he quit work when he was 60. So he's in, into his 27th year of retirement. Uh, anyway, I don't want to belabor the longevity point, but generally when I've done my financial planning for retirement, I figure I'm going to maybe drop dead around 90. But after seeing the statistics in this report, I'm going to add another five years to that because, well, it would suck to be 92 years old and go broke, right? Um, 
Another interesting set of data in this uh, presentation was about older Americans in the workforce. In 1999, only 18% of the labor force was people between 65 and 74. But 20 years later, in 2019, that number was 28%. That's right, 18 to 28% in 20 years. And according to the guide, that number is going to jump to 33% by 2029. So what does that tell us? Well, I think it really reveals three main things. One is that people are less and less able to manage their expenses in retirement as time passes. We as an aging society are setting aside less money as a percentage of our incomes, um, or maybe inflation is outpacing our savings. Number two, in the information age, people can work until they're older. So it's become really more of an option now and more people are apparently choosing to do so. Number three, we're simply living longer and hence working longer. Um, so the guide goes on to list some of the reasons why people work in retirement and the biggest, what they call want in this presentation that people are achieving by working is simply to stay active and involved. The biggest need they're reporting is simply to make extra spending money. And 15% say that they are working to make ends meet, which is sad. And look for that number, the amount of old people forced to work to make ends meet to keep going up, mark my words. Uh, another interesting data set in this guide uh, related to people's expectations of their retirement age. So get this, 71% of people expect to retire at 65 or older, but only 30% make it that long. That's right. 71% expect to retire at 65 or older, but only 30% make it that long. So meaning that most people actually have to retire earlier than they anticipated. So the median expected retirement age is 65, but the actual median retirement age is only 62. So now they give a bunch of reasons for this, but only around 50% of people who retire early are doing it by choice. The rest are having to exit the workforce due to health problems, downsizing, outdated skills, etc. So how fucked up is that? Maybe, maybe you're a bit behind on your savings, you're planning to work until you're 66, uh, when you've built up your nest egg and you feel like it'll be about time to collect social security, but then suddenly at age 62, your back goes out, your company downsizes you, or something else happens and you're unable to work. These things happen and apparently it happens to a lot of us. And most of us are not financially prepared for that unexpected outcome. And uh, so that's uh, pretty scary. So anyway, uh, the guide goes on to spend some time on Social Security, which is actually a good review for anyone. In fact, let's hit the main point that you need to remember about your benefits. If you were born after 1960, your FRA or full retirement age is 67. If you start taking benefits early, you'll get 6% less per year early that you take your benefits, which means if you start collecting right away when you turn 62, you'll only be making 70% of your full benefit amount. Uh, and as you probably know, if you delay after your full retirement age, you'll add 8% per year that you delay up until you turn 70 years old. And of course, you should be going to ssa.gov and check your statements annually. So this JP Morgan guide also has a handy dandy decision tree to help you decide when you should claim Social Security. Um, if you're questioning your claiming strategy, it actually might be a good exercise for you to download and go through this little decision tree. And finally, 
the coolest social security info is on slide 10 of the report, and that's the break-even ages to know how old you'll have to get in order to make it worthwhile to delay claiming benefits. Um, I'm sure we've all thought about this. I'll just claim at 62 because who knows how long I'll live and I could be putting that money to use instead of waiting until I'm 67 or 70. Well, your results may vary and the year that you were born will skew the numbers probably, but on slide 10, it's revealed that if you don't claim at 62 and wait until full retirement age to claim, your break-even age is around 77, meaning you're going to make more money overall by delaying claiming as long as you don't die before you turn 77, okay? Uh, so then what's the break-even age if you wait until 70 to retire? Well, that's around age 81. So basically, if you're going to live into your 80s or if you think you're going to live into your 80s, or beyond, and you want to maximize your benefits, you should wait until age 70 to claim. But wait, there's another chart here. So what if you expect to live a long time, and you want to claim early, and your investments provide better than average results? So basically, what if you claim Social Security at 62, but invest that income instead of spending it? Well, according to slide 11, if you can make about 9.5% on your investments, uh, and even if you live to 100, you'll end up with the highest expected lifetime benefits if you claim before full retirement age. Anyway, it's worth looking at. Uh, so check out the charts. Uh, don't take my word for it. There's a lot to think about when it comes to Social Security claiming strategies, and the charts in this guide might help you make a more informed decision. Next, the guide goes into tax rates and then covers retirement savings checkpoints or milestones. Um, now, if you have a 401k and a real job, those figures like say that you need to have 2.1 times your annual household income saved at age 40 or whatever, those figures might be helpful. But if you're self-employed like me uh, and you invest in alternative assets like real estate or whatnot, those figures are basically meaningless. So I'll skip that section. Um, now, there was an interesting chart called, quote, income replacement needs vary by household income which was pretty interesting. Basically, they parse out five factors that replace your pre-retirement income when you're retired. And those are one, pre-retirement savings, two, reduction in expenditures, three, reduction in taxes, four, social security benefits, and five, the amount from private and or employer sources like your 401k, pensions, IRAs, etc. And the results aren't surprising. If your pre-retirement income was 30 grand, 60% of your income is going to be replaced by Social Security when you retire. And you'll only be getting around 26% from your 401k or pension or investments. But if you made 200 grand pre-retirement, Social Security is only going to fill in 19% of your pre-retirement income, while over 50% is going to be from your investments and whatnot. So predictably, poor people are more dependent on Social Security in retirement. And knowing how the Social Security COLA adjustments lag behind real inflation, those people are going to get poorer and poorer every year, which is actually quite sad. Now, one thing that I found interesting is that no matter where you start from income-wise before you retire, when you retire, according to the chart, you're going to have from 8 to 13% lower taxes in retirement. But on that note, just let me say this don't bank on lower taxes in retirement. 
I'm not going to get into it now, but even though it's possible that your taxes will go down, possibly because your income will go down when you retire, given the shit that's gone on with the Fed, the creation of trillions of dollars out of nowhere, stimmy checks for all, and nutty inflation, it's very possible that you're going to be facing higher taxes when you retire. So just keep that in the back of your mind as you do your retirement spending forecasts. Another chart that I found interesting was on slide 18, and that was the historical annual personal savings rate as a percentage of gross income. So just so you know, the average since 1960 has been 7.9% per year. Yeah, the average American saves 7.9% of their gross annual income per year. Now, this surprised me. I would have totally guessed that it was closer to maybe 4 or 5%. But anyway, part of the editorial on this chart was that Americans need to save 10 to 15% consistently every year to successfully fund retirement. And man, if I would have saved 15% starting when I was in my 20s, Jesus. Anyway, one more thing on personal savings rates. For 2020, it jumped to an all-time high of 15%. So you wonder why? A couple stimulus checks, crazy federal unemployment bonuses, put that personal income together with closed restaurants, grounded airlines, and basically being stuck at home. And it makes sense that we put away 15% in 2020. So how much did you put aside last year? The guide then goes into the importance of saving and investing early. I'm not going to bore you with that, but if you decide to download the guide, it's always a good review to see the power of compound interest in graph form. Um, the guide briefly touches on the triple tax advantage of the HSA. Um, speaking of which, are you maxing out your contributions to your health savings account? If not, it's definitely, definitely worth looking into. I'm going to be doing an HSA deep dive coming up in the next month or so, so I'm not going to get into it here, but I was glad to see that our friends at JP Morgan are encouraging their clients to get on board with an HSA. Um, next, there's a pretty big section uh, in the report on spending, on personal spending, and most of it is really pretty uninteresting. They do some stress testing of the 4% rule, which I couldn't care less about. Uh, they talk about diversification and all of that typical buy-the-book portfolio advice that you get from your CFPs and CFAs and whatnot. Um, they get into healthcare costs, but the figures, the figures come from healthcare.gov and the Kaiser Family Foundation, so I'm not sure if I trust the numbers. For instance, they said that for a 64-year-old non-smoker, the national average healthcare cost for people on a marketplace silver plan clocks in at $1,374 per year. Broken down, that's $1,057 for insurance premiums and $317 in out-of-pocket expenses. So are you kidding me? I can guarantee you that the average American 64-year-old is spending a lot more than $1,300 a year on health care. So right there, this little guide lost a bit of credibility from my perspective. Next, they briefly touch on Medicare uh, and inflation relating to healthcare costs. And I found it interesting that they recommend assuming that your healthcare costs are going to inflate at 6% per year. Um, and I think that's probably pretty sound advice. Um, they also cover the 2021 Medicare surcharges for higher earners, which is definitely worth knowing as you approach retirement. Because did you know that if you're single and you make between $88,000 and $110,000, 
you're going to be paying an extra $220 a month for your Medicare premiums. The premium surcharges top out at $582 a month, just in case you were thinking that Medicare was basically a free socialized healthcare program. Um, they touch on long-term care in the guide, and while there's nothing really earth-shattering, one thing that jumped out at me is that 12% of men and 17% of women will require eight or more years of paid care after the age of 65. Now think about that and think if you could come close to affording eight years of care, the stratospheric numbers attached to rehab and nursing facilities should seriously put the fear of God into you. I know that I think about this all the time. My mom did three miserable, miserable years in a nursing home, and I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy, but you need to be ready for it when the time comes. And speaking of care, they break down the median hourly cost of a home health aid state by state. Uh, not surprisingly, uh, if you're in West Virginia, it's around 17 to 20 bucks an hour. And if you're in Massachusetts or Washington state, you're looking at 30 to 33 dollars an hour. So just for a second, let's imagine you. You're 82 years old, your spouse is dead, and you want to stay in your home as long as you possibly can. Say you need minor help in the form of someone who comes in, say, four hours a day to cook for you, make sure you take your pills, do your laundry, and maybe just shoot the shit. The national median hourly cost in today's dollars is 24 bucks an hour. So if they're coming in seven days a week, that's going to be another three grand you're going to need in your monthly budget or an additional 36 grand a year just to deal with managing your day-to-day -day life at home. It's unpleasant to think about, but it's worth considering and also worth budgeting for. Okay, so the rest of the guide really just gets into the weeds on investing, portfolio diversification, and lots of eye-crossing charts and graphs that financial advisors love to hold up to justify the fees and commissions that they charge. Uh, and there's really nothing new or earth-shattering for the rest of the guide. So if any of the topics that we touched on here are remotely interesting to you, I'd recommend downloading the guide. Don't I wouldn't use it to make any decisions, but use it as food for thought, and hopefully it'll bring up some things related to your retirement that you either hadn't thought about or maybe just underestimated the importance of. The main thing I got from it is that I need to accept the fact that it's very likely that I'm going to live into my 90s and I need to make sure that I've got steady, reliable income for 35 years or more of retirement and that I need to take into account the fact that I could have a serious bump in my expenses toward the end of my life as I either hire people to come in and help me manage my life or, God forbid, if I have to go into some kind of assisted living or long-term nursing care facility. Okay, well, this kind of turned out to be depressing. Um, I need to get Tim Leffel back on the show to talk about living in Mexico, hanging out, living cheap, and drinking buckets of Pacifico while taking long-ass siestas every day. But anyway, the link to where you can get the 2021 edition of the J.P. Morgan Asset Management Guide to Retirement is in the show notes. Go check it out, learn a thing or two, and don't blame me if it's mildly depressing. So that's it for today. Please do me a favor and subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform you use. And if you'd share it with a friend, that would be completely awesome. Anyway, I will be back at you soon. Have a great one. Nothing in this podcast is meant to be financial, legal, or tax advice. Though there's some kick-ass information here, it's for informational purposes only. 
Take control of your retirement planning, but get professional counsel if you need tax, legal, or financial advice. For more content like this, join my mailing list at rogueretirementlounge.com. And if you have questions about retirement investing, entrepreneurship, business, or anything else, my email address is matt at rogueretirementlounge.com. 